You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. What we're doing today is we are going to begin a new series, and we just ended a series on the book of Titus. I think we spent five weeks in the book of Titus, uh, Paul's letter to Titus, and I want to let you know, anybody in this room or anybody who is watching online, if you missed any of those messages, please go to where you can uh, listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or uh, through Podbean, or you can go to our website, freedomfellowship.com, and hit uh, the, the messages or sermons button. We have all of them available to where you can listen to the podcast, the audio for all of those. And of course, we have YouTube and Facebook as well that you can go back and listen to any of those messages. So I, for one, am very excited about where we're going next as a body of believers. Where we're going to go actually coincides perfectly with kind of what you see up here on the stage. And that is during the the Christmas time, what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke. Today, what we're going to be talking about, why is the Gospel of Luke so important? You may say, well, that's easy. It's one of the four Gospels. Okay, good. You're way ahead of the curve, but we're going to get a little bit deeper to see exactly why it's so important. With all of the, uh, the Christmas decorations that you see here on the stage, it's actually going to time out pretty perfectly that we're going to be looking at the birth account of our Lord uh, in the coming weeks. And that's recorded in the events leading up to it in Luke chapters 1 and chapter 2. So we're going to be looking at that as a body. I also want to say, last piece of business, I promise, if you guys are following along on the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along with what we're looking at today. Uh, You can open it, bottom right, hit more, and then hit events, and then just look for Freedom Fellowship NWA. You can follow along. You can take your own notes. I encourage you guys to to do that. And what you can do is you can save that in the upper right, and then you can come back to it a little bit later. So if you would open up your Bibles or turn your Bibles on, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1. As you're doing that, I want to remind everyone that... Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, tells us to be imitators of God. And when we look at the Gospel of Luke, the reason we're doing this is we can't imitate who we don't know. So when we look at the Gospel of Luke, we are looking to see the life and ministry of Christ. We want to see what did he do? How did he react? How did he do what he did in this particular situation. We can look at that and we can imitate the Lord, not by what we think he would do. When you have things like, what would Jesus do? Really good campaign back in the 90s, but it's a little bit subjective because if I think Jesus would do this and you think Jesus would do this, well, who's right? So I like to take the stance of not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? How did he react 
to that outcast? How did he react to the religious Pharisees? How did he do that? And that's why going through one of the Gospels is so important because we can look and see there is no subjectivity there. We can look and see this is exactly what he did. This is what he commanded. And so there it is for us. How can I change by looking at him? So the gospel of Luke is the third of the four gospels. Of course, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What's interesting is the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are written by the same person. So in other words, what you can look at is Luke is part one, Acts is part two, or it is one very, very long story told in two parts. These two parts span a period of 60 years, but it starts at the beginning. It starts with the events surrounding the birth of Christ, and then it ends in Acts chapter 28. So that is a very, very long time, but the Lord commissioned a very important person, a very, very smart person, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to tell this important, important story. The best estimates put this account around 60 or 61 AD. So roughly 30 years after the resurrection of our Lord. There's 24 chapters, but here's what I love. Chapters nine through 19 of Luke is almost exclusively to Luke. That is the, what we call the good, the, the down and dirty teaching of our Lord. And I'm, that just came out of my mouth and I realize that sounds weird, but uh, forgive me for that. But it is good kingdom teaching from Christ. That's when he was on his way to Jerusalem. He stopped and he taught. And these parables that he teaches are so foundational for each and every one of us that we have a lot to learn from our Lord in them. What's also unique about the Gospel of Luke, it is the, the fullest, the most in-depth look at the life and ministry of Christ. From chapters 1 and 2, you have the Old Testament prophecies saying, this is what's going to happen. All the way to the death, resurrection, and then his ascension in Acts chapter 1. Then you have the birth of the early church and beyond. So you see everything kind of from the beginning all the way you get to see it play out. It's one story in two parts. Now with the, the Gospels, Matthew, when you look at Matthew's account, Matthew's Gospel, he is an eyewitness to all of these things. Luke was not. Matthew was an eyewitness. It was written to a Jewish audience. Mark was not an eyewitness but this is kind of the, we have some college students back there. You guys know what cliff notes are, right? Yeah. Of course not, no. When we, you read the original text, you don't, no one looks at cliff notes. Yeah, Tom does. He uses them, yeah. So Mark is kind of the cliff notes version of the life and ministry of Christ. It's, it is boom, 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 boom. Miracle after miracle after miracle after teaching. It is very succinct. It is... Uh, very, very potent. 
Then you have John, the Gospel of John. He was an eyewitness to all of the things of, of Christ. He makes the case that Jesus was the Son of God. So we see the differences between the four Gospels. So what makes Luke unique? Luke focuses on the humanity of Christ and salvation for all people, get this, including the Gentiles. So when you con contrast that with Matthew's gospel, that was written to a Jewish audience saying that this guy is the king of the Jews. Luke, what he is doing is he is saying humanity as a whole is going to be redeemed through this man. There's a large emphasis in the Gospel of Luke on healing, which makes perfect sense because what was Luke's occupation? He was a doctor. So there's a lot of physical examples that is given in Luke's Gospel. Let me give you a, a very famous one. When Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he begins to sweat blood. Who would know that proper uh, definition and, and knowing that that is an extremely stressful thing? Wouldn't be a plumber. A doctor would be able to do that. So there's some medical terms. There's things like that that we will see as we go through the Gospel of Luke. But there's also an, an emphasis on the compassion of Christ the compassion of our Lord towards sinners, towards women, towards outcasts, as well as towards the wealthy. So there is a compassion. And we're, we're going to talk here in just a second about Luke wasn't just a physician. He was so much more. And we're going to see that in his writings. There's also a, an emphasis on feelings. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but what Luke does is he attaches emotion to what's going on in the account. So, for example, when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, what does it say? She was what? Afraid. So fear. He, he notes those sorts of things, that there is fear. And then the angel Gabriel says, don't be afraid. There's a lot of emotion that, that Luke puts in there that really helps tell this story. Luke also includes an emphasis on prayer before any big event. You have Jesus withdrawing from the masses to go and what we would say today, get himself right, get his mind right. He would do that. Luke records that. He places an emphasis on that, that Jesus goes and withdraws, and there's an emphasis on prayer. So who was Luke? According to Colossians 4.14, Luke was a physician, probably from Antioch, which is in modern-day Syria, over there just north of Israel. We also know that Luke was a Gentile, not a Jew. There is one author who is not Jewish in the Bible and that's Luke. So he wrote Luke and Acts, which are very, very lengthy books, 24 chapters, and then 28. That is a good chunk of the New Testament when you look at it just in, in terms of volume. 
He was also a traveling companion with the Apostle Paul, with Silas, and with Timothy. And, of course, we're we're not going to get here at least for a, a really long time. But in your own time, if you go back and look at Acts chapter 16, if you read the book of Acts, you start to see in the first 15 chapters, they went, they did, they, 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 they. Then in chapter 16, something interesting happens. It says, we went. We did this. We went here. We went. We, who is that we? It is the author. That is Luke himself was there at the tail end of the book of Acts, watching all of this play out. And then what he does, which we'll talk about here in a second, he goes and then tells this entire story from chapter one of the gospel of Luke. Luke doesn't introduce himself much in either Luke or Acts because it is about the Lord. It is not about him. He was also not writing a letter to a person or to a church. So it makes the, the, the literary aspect of this very, very interesting because when we just, we just finished the book of Titus, that was Paul's letter to Titus saying, Titus, I'm writing you this letter. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Then he ends with, sincerely, the Apostle Paul. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. This is a little bit different. This is not to a specific person. And you may be thinking, well, no, that's not what the first four verses say. But this is not meant to be something that is uplifting to the church. This is a written historical record. So what's also interesting is Luke. Again, who is Luke? We know from the early church fathers, and I'm going to run through just a couple of these. If you don't know who they are, that's okay. But Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Eusebius, and Clement of Alexandria. Yeah, I know Tom needs to buy the cliff notes for that one. They all reference Luke, the physician, as the author of this gospel. So it's not just, well, I heard one time, maybe Luke wrote it. No, there is a reason why all of those guys reference him as the author. Okay, so let's get to the text. I know I had you open your Bibles 20 minutes ago, but all of that is just by way of introduction. So let's get to the text itself. And let's look at Luke 1, starting in verse number 1. It says, and I'm reading out of the New King James, inasmuch we have, uh, inasmuch as many have taken a hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed to me, seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things which you were instructed. That's the text that we're looking at today. You may be saying, okay, well, that's all well and good. What does that mean? Before we get into what that means, if you would just hold your place in Luke, and I want you to jump over to Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts chapter 1. And I want you to see the similarities. 
Remember, we talked about Luke being part one of the story, Acts being part two. Knowing what we just read, I want you to see the similarities in the the two introductions that Luke does here. So Acts chapter one, verse one. It says, the former account I made, O Theophilus. We can stop right there. What's the former account? The gospel of Luke. So in other words, part one. This is part two. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both to do and to teach until the day which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit has given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So that's the second introduction. And the reason I wanted to point that out is so that we can understand in our brains, we can understand, okay, part one and part two. And I encourage you, I like to give homework from up here in the pulpit, I like to give homework. I would encourage you guys to read Acts as well as Luke and go at your own pace, but read through those and you can see the the similarities between the two. But when you look at it as one large story broken into two parts, it helps us understand it a little bit better. So back in Luke chapter one, let's go back over there. I want to talk a little bit about who he's writing this to. So we understand from verse number three, Luke one, verse three, he's writing. And then in Acts chapter one, we see him reference this man by the name of Theophilus. Who is this guy? Theophilus was a Roman citizen. He was a Gentile believer, possibly at the house of Caesar as referenced in Philippians 4. He was likely very, very wealthy to be able to bankroll someone to write this magnificent story. When you look at the name Theophilus, Theophilus, that's two words put together. Theo, which is Greek for God, and then phileus, which sounds like phileo. Really, it means lover of God. That's who Theophilus was. He was in the Roman uh, system because of his uh, prominence there in Rome. He was a Gentile. He was someone who came to the Lord, but then was like, okay, all right, now now what do I do? What do I do next? That's when Luke was like, okay, you want it? You got it? Let me write you an account of everything that you have heard. So let's go back to Luke 1, verse 1. It says, inasmuch as many have taken a hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. That right there is talking about the other writings out there. 
These are the other gospels, as well as other writings that have been lost, but also the stories that people would tell in and around the, the campfire and in the towns and in the town squares. They would hear these stories of Christ and those would get passed down from generation to generation. By the way, that's why Mark's gospel is so short. It was meant to be recited. The stories are meant to be passed down like that. So you don't want to memorize 24 chapters like we have in the Gospel of Luke. You have 16 chapters that are very quick in Mark's gospel. So other people have written. So Luke is not saying I'm the only, this is the only account. No, no, what he's doing is he's saying there are other ones, but what I'm doing is I'm going to write you one, an account of that. And like I said before, Luke wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't him just sitting there one night, just by candlelight, just tapping his big pen on his chin, like, you know, this would be a good story. No, no, every single author of the Bible wrote under divine inspiration. I don't have a scripture on the screen for this, but 2 Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21, reference that. All scripture is divinely inspired. It is not the thoughts of one person. So we talked about Luke being a physician by trade. That's what he did. That, that was his day job is what we would call it. But Luke was also a historian. He was a historian. He was well-educated and he associates a lot of historical events that he records in his gospel. What am I talking about? In Luke chapter two, we're going to get there in a couple of weeks, but in Luke chapter two, he does something very interesting. Actually, if you would go ahead and flip there with me. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, and we are going to have a, a teaching on this, but I just want to give you an idea of this, of how detailed Luke was as a historian, someone who is writing this account. Now, one quick word before we move on with this, this written historical account was meant to be placed in Rome then copied so that the people, the elite, the educated in the Greco-Roman world and in, in Greece and Rome, they would have this account. They're like, okay, this guy is no dummy who wrote this. He knows exactly what was going on. And so now we have a historical account of what's going on. Because let me clarify that a little bit. Let's say that you are a wealthy person in Rome. You have your your farm, all of that kind of thing. You hear about this Jewish rabbi going around teaching all of these crazy things. And they're like, okay, those are just tall tales. But then you have this written record of what's going on by your neighbor who goes by the name of Theophilus. He was like, he wasn't just some crazy guy. Look at this. And they place the book on his desk you start reading, it's like, oh, wow, this guy really did this in a real place and at a real time. So it wasn't just tall tales kind of you know, put together in a book. These were actual 
historical things. And let me show you what I'm talking about. So if you're in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse number 1. And it says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And we'll just stop right there. That gives us a historical perspective, a historical point. Okay, if that's what was going on, okay, that's when this particular account plays out. But again, that's for us today in 2020. We can look at that and be like, okay, yeah, that's when it was happening. But if you're that wealthy Roman, Theophilus's neighbor, you're like, oh, Okay, yeah, I, I remember that. I remember hearing about when Quirinius was governing Syria. Okay, I remember. That's when this happened? So what it, what it is is kind of a guidepost for the Greco-Roman world that they can see these major historical events happening to where it's not just a collection of, of fancy fables. This is actual historical things. So we, know, we notice that Luke was a historian, but the other thing that he was is he was a journalist as well. He did, and there's, for the sake of time, we won't get into all of this, but what Luke was able to do is he had the front row seat starting in Acts chapter 16, which we talked about. He's right there on the boat with Paul, with Silas, with Timothy, all of those people, he's there watching all of this play out. But also what he did was he came back and he visited with the disciples, the apostles, and some people even say he was able to sit down with Mary, the mother of our Lord. Sit down, pull out his steno notepad, and just start taking notes. Getting that firsthand account so he was a physician by trade. He was a historian. He was a smart, smart guy. He was also a journalist detailing all of these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, he was a scholar. He was a scholar. He had a great understanding of the Greek language. And again, we talked about this being a written historical account for the greco Roman world. Now, that's all well and good. What does that mean? What does this mean to me? Okay, I get Luke's a really good gospel. He's a good gospel writer, good understanding of the Greek language. Okay, what does that mean to me? Well, I'm glad that you guys asked that. Jesse, I'm looking at you. Thank you for asking that. Luke's gospel is vital, not just important, it is vital to us today to understand the life of Christ. It is absolutely vital. Like what he tells Theophilus in the beginning, I believe it's in chapter four, sorry about that. Luke one, verse four, that you may know the certainty of the things which you were instructed. Meaning, Theophilus, you heard the gospel. Someone preached the gospel to you. You heard it, 
the Holy Spirit went to work in your life. You became born again. Now the magic question, now what? All of us have asked ourselves, now what? Now what do I do with this? That's why Luke's gospel is so important. He is telling Theophilus and the rest of the Greco-Roman world, here's where it starts, but here's where it's going to go. The church is going to explode, and I'm going to record every single bit of it. He is going to make this a written record for all of them. And I want to close with this. Why is the gospel of Luke so important? I'm going to put a scripture up there on the screen. Not me, my wife, Whitney. This is why the gospel of Luke is so important in one verse. Right there, Luke 24, 27. This is after Jesus was resurrected. He was walking on the road to Emmaus. And I encourage you to go and reread this account this week. Just Luke 24. There's two guys walking on the road. Jesus shows up. They are spiritually blind that this is Jesus. And Jesus walks up. Hey, what's going on, guys? Anything cool happened this weekend? And they start telling him, you haven't heard this? He's like, heard what? So they start telling him everything that happened regarding the death and the crucifixion of Christ. What he says next sums up the entirety of the Bible, the entire Bible in one verse. Because he says this, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What is the Bible about? One word, Jesus. He is at the absolute center of the entire Bible. So this right here, an easy way to, to look at it is Moses and the prophets. That's essentially the Old Testament. He's saying, you see that burning bush? That was me. That fourth person in the, the fire? That was me. See, when we look back at history, human history, we have the fall of man as recorded in Genesis chapter three. We have that separation. Throughout the Old Testament, there was a sacrificial system in place. You could get right with God by sacrifice, sacrificing an animal. The shed blood of that animal would remit your sins or temporarily cover your sins. But what Jesus did, see, everything is pointing to Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That person came in the form of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus came, his life, his ministry, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, all of that is recorded here in Luke's gospel. Like I said, it's 24 chapters. It's, it's not a sit you know, down and 10 minutes later you read through it. There is a lot of detail in here, but it details 
the greatest story because it is the story of redemption for humanity. That is God saying, I want you so much to be with me, but you are not worthy of it. You are unrighteous in my sight. I am a holy, holy God. But you are not worthy. I love you, but I can't do it. I have standards. Every single one of you fail. But I love you. I want to be with you so much. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why Jesus was born to a virgin. He lived on this life, a perfect, sinless life. He was tempted just like you and I. But the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 tells us, yet he did not sin. He did not give in to that. He knew what had to happen. And we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane earlier. Can you imagine? My brain cannot even go there. What he was feeling that night. Knowing what was about to happen. We like to summarize it and say, you know, he was beaten and then he was crucified, which is true. But when you look at the excruciating detail of what that beating, that flogging, that shame that he took for each and every one of us, our minds can't really comprehend that. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to have to endure that. He sweat blood because of the stress of knowing what was about to happen. And he said, Lord, I don't want to go through this. But he said, but not my will be done, your will. See, God's will was for Jesus to come to this earth to take that punishment so that we could be redeemed back to the Father. That's why he did this. So we understand that we are redeemed back to the Lord because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's not us because we go to church every Sunday or we pray, we listen to Kayla, that sort of thing. No, it is the work of Christ. And the Apostle Paul says it this way, and I'm going to paraphrase. It's found in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He said, for the message of the cross, which is what we just talked about, the message of Jesus Christ, redemption for humanity, all of that is foolishness to those who are perishing. That message is foolishness to people who don't believe. Yet to us who are being saved, raise your hands, that's us being saved, it is power and life. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together as followers of Christ. As a body of believers, Lord, we come together to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word that went forth here today even though we only looked at just the introduction to this magnificent, magnificent story.
this account. Lord, we understand the depth of it a little bit more now. And Father, as we continue through this Gospel of Luke, when we look at the depth of his teaching, the depth of what it is that he came to do, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit just illuminate your scripture to us. That we not take this lightly, but we do so with intentionality. And that we do so prayerfully. That we look and we worship the Lord through studying his word. And so, Lord, we just say thank you again for this opportunity. Lord, we ask that you use us this week to go and share the love of Christ with others, however that looks. If that is doing something kind for someone, or if that is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Lord, we ask that you use us. Let everything that we do be seasoned with salt. Every phrase, every thought, every deed, Lord, we want to bring glory to you each and every day. And Lord, with this week being Thanksgiving, we just continue to say thank you for loving us enough to send your your son Christ to die for us. And it's in his precious and holy name that we pray and ask this, and amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.